This summer, one of the biggest real estate stories in the US has been how one company's plan to acquire an office property in Atlanta has ended in a Department of Justice investigation and 60 million in missing funds. This is BizNow Reports, I'm Miriam Hall, and on this episode, we're discussing Nightingale Properties and CrowdStreet, the two companies at the centre of a crowdfunding real estate deal that's resulted in millions of dollars being allegedly embezzled and an acquisition that just never closed. My guests today are Jared Shank, our Atlanta reporter, and Ethan Rothstein, BizNow's deputy managing editor, both of whom have been closely following the developments over the last few months. The story has been the talk of the town, but let's recap what happened. Last summer, Nightingale Properties agreed to buy the Atlanta Financial Centre in Buckhead for $182 million. To get the deal done, the company managed to use the crowdfunding platform CrowdStreet to raise $53 million from hundreds of individual investors. That all seems fine, but flash forward to today and the deal's not closed, the funds for the Atlanta investment as well as a renovation for an office property in Miami, are not able to be traced. That's around $60 million that's missing. CrowdStreet has put an independent manager in charge of the accounts, and the company is accusing Nightingale and its CEO, Ellie Schwartz, of embezzling the money. The feds are involved, and CrowdStreet itself, though it says Nightingale violated its terms, is battling for its reputation. I started our discussion by asking Jared What first raised the alarm? Well, the fact that they never closed is really what raised the alarm to the CrowdStreet investors. Uh, We had been following the story since the deal was announced and pitched uh, early on last year. And as it was going through, I kept hearing rumors that they were having trouble. When I say they, I mean Nightingale was having trouble raising the debt side of this, although they were very successful raising the crowdsource equity portion. It kept going. There was delays in closing. They kept having delays in closing. And in June, I got an email from uh, an anonymous investor. who's like, do you know what's going on? We've not really heard anything. And that's when the floodgates started to open. We started asking. And the next thing you know, CrowdStreet comes out, points Anna Phillips as the special fiduciary and announces that the funds have been misappropriated. The whole idea, obviously, with crowdfunding is that it gives ordinary people the chance to invest in real estate deals that typically are only for institutions. You had to put in a minimum of $25,000, which is not an insignificant amount of money. And Jared, you spoke to multiple people who'd invested. Who are they? You know, is there any chance that they'll see the money again? It's a motley of people from all walks of life. You have physicians, uh, scientists, engineers, people in real estate, um, just high net worth individuals who it seems that they've really latched on to the idea of crowdsourced real estate investments. They're, of course, in this case with CrowdStreet, they're accredited investors, so they have to reach a certain threshold uh, to be able to participate. Um, But as you said, this is in no way an insignificant amount of money, Um, you know, $25,000 even to an accredited investor, you know, could be could be a nice chunk of change. And that kind of goes into one of the many aspects you're looking into is when I was talking to the investors because you keep coming up with the idea of due diligence and, and how much should we have trusted CrowdStreet's due diligence versus should I have done on my own? And 
you know, that's that's a that's a soul search question for some of these investors who basically, you know, say, you know, I'm only putting twenty five thousand, and that doesn't mean I should fly out to Atlanta so I look at the building myself or dig deep into you know what these people. I trusted what was presented to me. Um, so that's kind of where we are on on that end for the people who are in there. The question is, are they going to see their money again? I, that's one I can't answer. I will f- just gut tells me in seeing things like this happen in the past, they may get some money back, but they're never going to get what they put in. People felt really comfortable with this because it, it it's real estate. You know, it's a, it's American real estate. It's not some offshore, it's not Bitcoin. It's something people could understand. Is that what they told you, that they felt comfortable with it because it seemed like such a standard solid deal? It was a sweetheart deal in essence, and you're getting a class A trophy office building uh, one of, in my opinion, one of the most unique in Metro Atlanta. It's in Buckhead, which is the really Tony financial district of Atlanta. The the complex itself at over a million square, at almost a million square feet, literally straddles over the Georgia 400 highway. Um, so there's a tunnel that goes underneath the building. Uh, well located on Peachtree Street. I know it's older, but I, you know, this the city and and Buckhead is pushing forward to trying to cap the interstate there and create a park. That park would, if it comes to realization, and they are raising, they're trying to raise funds for it, uh, would the entry level of that park would go right onto the property of Atlanta Financial Center. All in all, that and this and this was all made in the present presentation, very enticing to investors. So you're getting a piece of something that, as you alluded to earlier, really only institutional investors would have been access to at one point. So it sounds very attractive, Ethan. Let me come to you. I mean, how could something? like this happen how is it that schwartz was allegedly able to embezzle all of this money Uh, it's a great question what it seems happened is that in about may 2022 they launched this campaign um you know nightingale pitched atlanta financial center as jared said as as a sweetheart deal um you know an opportunity to buy a trophy class building at a steep discount um and they raised about 54 million dollars uh in a matter of weeks um, which was the largest crowdfunding deal uh, in the platform's history uh, at the time. Um, and what we learned later is that unlike your standard garden variety commercial real estate deal, or even you know, uh, you know a residential real estate deal where the money typically goes into an escrow account before closing, the money actually went directly into an account controlled by Nightingale and Ellie Schwartz. So when investors put their money in, Basically, all of them assumed their money was going to escrow because that's how most real estate transactions work. You know, instead, it was going into this LLC controlled by um, controlled by Ellie Schwartz. Um, and in the bankruptcy filings that came out uh, in recent weeks, um, it was clear that you know, or uh, it was presented that there were multiple transactions. You know, as soon as last fall, um, really before any of this stuff started popping up on the radar screen. That money was being transferred out of the accounts and into other accounts controlled by Ellie Schwartz. So by the time you know Anna Phillips, the special fiduciary, was appointed, I think in late June, and she took over the accounts and requested the financials, she said there was only about one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars left in the account um, where over fifty million dollars was was raised. And you mentioned the Miami Beach property, which was a much smaller deal. Um, they only raised about nine million dollars for that building. That crowdfund happened in the fall, in about November 2022, I believe. And when um, Anna Phillips took over that account as well, she found there was only about 
$5,000, I believe, left in that checking account. So in total, almost $60 million when uh, she first took over the accounts were, were unaccounted for. So those accounts have been essentially drained? Yes, the, the accounts of the entities that were set up to buy the Atlanta Financial Center and Lincoln Place in, in Miami Beach. So I need to be, we got to be clear about that. It's kind of stunning, I think, that the escrow was not being used in these deals. I mean, it seems like everyone, no one was ever told they were using escrow, but they just basically assumed that that was the case. Crowdshare executives told us that the fact that the money was going directly into a sponsor-controlled account was in the operating agreements. But, you know, uh, the investors, I mean, the operating agreements, it seems like it might be the equivalent to like, the terms of service when you sign up for an app. You know, it's something that you press accept and you don't really read all the way through. Um, but to your point, I mean, they all assumed it was going to escrow. We've even spoken to some um, to some CrowdStreet employees, you know, who's speaking to us on background. And even inside the walls at CrowdStreet, not everyone knew that this money wasn't going into escrow. It's worth noting that Nightingale Properties came to CrowdStreet with top-notch references from the likes of KKR and Citibank. It's a real estate company too, with significant runs on the board. The company was founded in 2005 when Schwartz, who was at that time running an IT company, met the company co-founder, Simon Singer, who was then an attorney working in-house for a real estate company. On Nightingale's website, it describes that meeting as destiny, and the pair began working on deals as a side hustle. In an online testimonial, one investor said that they had, quote, total faith that Schwartz and Singer would look after their money as if it were, quote unquote, their own. As of last year, the company said publicly that it had invested in more than 10 billion of real estate. In 2019, Nightingale garnered significant attention in New York by flipping 711 Fifth Avenue, which is known as the Coca-Cola building. Nightingale had joined with Wafra Companies, now known as Intervest, to buy it for $909 million. But it then just sold it on for a $30 million markup, just a few months later to Michael Schwo. It also partnered with Intervest at 111 Wall Street, and they locked down a $500 million loan package in 2021. Plus, since 2017, Nightingale has owned the biggest office property in Philadelphia. But the lawsuits and the foreclosures are coming thick and fast for Nightingale. That Philadelphia property is in receivership. At 111 Wall Street, the mezzanine lender has moved to foreclose on the property. It's a similar story at 300 Lafayette Street in Manhattan, Soho. The lender there has foreclosed too. In fact, nearly $1 billion worth of properties in the Nightingale portfolio is in some form of distress or foreclosure. It does seem like, uh, like a little bit of a black box. And uh, you do wonder about the due diligence and how deep Nightingale's partners were able to go on them. You know, because from everything we can find by our efforts combined, there's just not a lot of depth there. You know, there's not a lot of, you know, real detail um, and real verifiable information out there. So obviously the Atlanta deal and the Miami deal um, got a lot of attention, but this is an act that those weren't actually Nightingale's first run with CrowdStreet. They also raised money for 200 West Jackson Boulevard, which is a downtown office building in Chicago. What do we know about that deal? 
That was Nightingale's first uh, experience with Crowd Street, um, and my understanding is that inside Crowd Street, uh, that was considered a big victory um, because they were such a well-known player and did have such a long track record. Um, so 200 West Jackson, uh, you know, it's a Class B skyscraper in in uh, in Chicago Central Business District. Uh, Nightingale raised over 20 million dollars in Crowd Street funds for that purchase uh, in early 2022. You know, right when. Uh, it was looking like maybe we were going to have a meaningful office market recovery. And they actually closed on that deal and they, they acquired the property. They, they owned the title of that deal. But, you know, as the Atlanta Financial Center and Miami Beach deals were falling apart, you know, Crowd Street started looking into, into that property as well. And they are seeking now to appoint Anna Phillips uh, as a special fiduciary independent manager for that property as well, because uh, Crowdstreet says that Nightingale stopped communicating with the investors in that property. Um, you know, the occupancy has not raised, uh, has not gone up to the level that Nightingale initially projected. And, you know, investors are are not hearing from Nightingale. And in one of the releases Crowdstreet um, issued to investors in that property, you know, they said that they couldn't really guarantee that inappropriate behavior also didn't happen at 200 West Jackson. You know, there is there is real concern that money from that building has been misappropriated. This is such a bad look for Crowd Street. And I imagine this has put a real spotlight on their practices, and I can only imagine it's incredibly damaging. Yeah, I mean, as you've seen already, there has been reaction within Crowd Street. Taurus Dean, the founder and co-founder, rather, and CEO, he has uh, left the position of CEO, been replaced uh, by somebody who has some real commercial real estate credentials behind him. I will say Torstein is still on the board of directors. But yes, there's lots of questions among the investors particularly, but even, you know, just talking to people out there about what culpability does CrowdStreet have in this whole thing? Or were they just a platform that connects sponsors to investors and then they can wash their hands of it? Or do they have some real responsibility in knowing who is coming onto their platform? and asking for money from investors, the due diligence side of things, the lack of escrow that they use. And remember, to that, for the longest time, CrowdStreet uh, Crow was itself, their executive itself, viewed it as a tech platform. It was only within the last year that they began to go to the process and got approval last year for becoming a broker-dealer, which not only gives them a little more power, but it also gives them a lot more responsibility in making sure that, that funds used and raised by their crowdsourced investors, you know, is used responsibly and for the deals that they were said they're going to be done. And we're, as business, we're exploring that question a lot more deeper, um, particularly in terms of timing between when certain deals were done not using escrow and when they were pursuing the broker-dealer license. Just on a wider question, Ethan, what would you say this means for crowdfunding in real estate? generally. Is there a concern that's to really shake people's faith in, in this as a process? Uh, I mean, short answer, yes, uh, that is a real concern. Crowdfunding for, for commercial real estate is, is basically a baby when it comes to, you know, industries in this country. Um, there was a, a, a law passed in 2012 um, that allowed crowdfunding in real estate. It allowed, you know, um, unaccredited investors to participate um, in these funds. Um, and so, you know, really the, the industry is barely a decade old. You know, CrowdStreet, I believe, was founded in, in, in 2014. You know, its initial deals are really, really small. 
uh, but it's not alone, you know, in the crowdfunding space. Uh, you know, other other companies that are, are pretty active include Equity Multiple, Realty Mogul, uh, Cadre, Fundrise. I mean, these are the names that, you know, have really, have really popped up. And in the weeks after the Nightingale um, scandal uh, broke, uh, many of these platforms sent out messages to their investors assuring them that, like, that their processes and their policies are a lot more stringent than CrowdStreet's. They highlighted for the fact the fact that all of their you know all their deals are put in escrow before closing. You know that was something that was mentioned by both Equity Multiple CEO and Realty Mogul CEO. There's a lot of concern that you know this scandal will leave a kind of a black mark on the industry, and it'll have the retail investors really you know not trust these companies because of what happened. I will say that at the same time from you know, the industry perspective, if you're a real estate developer or investor, you know, the crowdfunding business model is basically too good to be true. I mean, the way that it, I mean, Nightingale was able to raise $50 million in a matter of weeks. And, you know, they are, you know, the, obviously the highest profile um, incident of fraud, but there's lots of deals that have raised millions of dollars in a very short amount of time. And it allowed these investors to close more quickly on these buildings. And it allows them to tap into a new source of funding that previously they that didn't exist. And so there's a fairly high level of confidence that the idea of real estate crowdfunding will exist, that lots of CrowdStreet competitors, you know, will continue to go on just because the, you know, the business model, um, uh, you know, seems to be so sound because there's always a need for more investment in real estate. Real estate investors always need equity partners and people want to make money in real estate's traditionally been a great way to make money in this country. So, you know, I think uh, overall, the industry is probably going to survive this. But certainly, I mean, we've spoken to CEOs of some of these competitors, they all acknowledge it's a reputational hit that they'll have to manage. Yeah, they, you know, they always call it the sort of the democratization of, of, of real estate uh, funding. And, you know, not so much if people are losing money. I mean, it, just because it's democratized doesn't mean that it's risk-free. I mean, it's a risky investment no matter how you slice it. Um, and, you know, that's something the investors who we've spoken to did acknowledge that they know that they're going into like a risky investment, but they just never anticipated that the outcome would be an alleged fraud at this scale. I, I think about that quote that we had in our story when we talked to the investors and one of the, the people said, I'm angry at CrowdStreet, but I'm also angry at myself um, for not thinking this through. Jarrett, you really closely followed this story from the start. What, what's next? Well, as was from our last report, we do know uh, from disclosures by Anna Phillips that the Department of Justice, uh, Securities and Exchange Commission are both investigating these uh, Nightingale. And we know that Anna Phillips's big push right now looks to be towards settlement, how to claim at least some of these investors' monies back, uh, both obviously with Nightingale um, and also with CrowdStreet. Uh, which I think is an interesting wrinkle uh, that they're looking for a settlement with CrowdStreet on this. Uh, at the very least, I believe she said to fund uh, ongoing litigation. Um, that's probably the, the near-term thing we're looking at. The I, I will be, as she even said herself, this is going to be a very long process. Um, they're still trying to find where the money went to once it went to L.A. Schwartz and his entities. You know, we do know that some was paid to vendors, some was paid for his own personal expenses, as she said on these calls, but they have to trace that back and how much of those can be clawed back. Also, some early, some investors in this deal did get their money back when they asked for it early on. Um, 
are they, you know, are they scot-free or do they have to give their money back in order to go into a larger pool and to share to give to go all the other investors? These are questions that investors are asking, you know, each other and us right now about, you know, what is the next steps? And of course, everybody wants to know if, if criminal charges are going to be brought against Ellie or, and or Nightingale in this whole situation. What does it mean that the DOJ is investigating? I haven't talked to the DOJ about this, uh, nor they probably will talk to us on record at this point. But it's clear that they're investigating whether, you know, the, the question will be whether there is some criminal activity involved here um, and, and what those charges will be. I don't know what the end result is that going to What will that end result be? For this um, and how it could complicate too, if hypothetically the DOJ does come out with criminal charges uh, against Nightingale, how that complicates the recovery of money for for the investors on Crowd Street. In terms of the DOJ, while it's unclear if uh, if they're going to bring charges, they don't comment on even whether investigations exist. We know because um, Anna Phillips told us uh, that they were investigating. Um, but it's important to, to note that uh, when the scandal initially happened, Crown Street itself came out and said that they believe that Nightingale committed illegal behavior. They believe that Nightingale committed fraud and, and improperly stole this money. So I would imagine that Crown Street is actively participating in the investigation and, co- and uh, cooperating with the investigation. Um, but they certainly believe you know, that something illegal happened here. How much of this can be put down to a bad market? Uh, it's a great question. I think that, you know, if office values were rising, if office leasing activity was, you know, at a, at a high watermark, um, a lot of these problems probably wouldn't wouldn't have happened. I think, you know, Nightingale, by, by all accounts, Nightingale intended on purchasing the Atlanta Financial Center. By all accounts, you know, they intended on, you know, leasing up the buildings that they own in New York and Chicago and Philadelphia. Uh, and having successful exits and returning money to investors and then some, uh, but that hasn't happened. You know, people who have bet on offices recovery to this point, um, many of them have not seen those bets pay off. And we've seen across the country, not just here, but there's been a number of foreclosures, there's been a number of bankruptcies, there's been a number of landlords handing back their buildings, um, and we're probably going to find you know more instances of fraud where people have you know assumed that the underlying real estate's performance will exceed whatever money that they took out of the pro- took out of their properties improperly and we've had some you know some stories around that that we've reported in Texas for instance and you know there's the old saying you know when the tide goes out you see who has their swim trunks on you see who's who doesn't um, and i think that's that's part of what's happening here that's Ethan Rothstein Biznow's deputy managing editor and before him Jared Shank Biznow's Atlanta reporter Now, CrowdStreet has said that all new funds raised will be put into escrow and that they have enhanced their due diligence processes for screening sponsors on the platform. But we are continuing to work on this story, so you should get in contact if you know anything about CrowdStreet or Nightingale Properties. Email jared at biznow.com. That's jared, J-A-R-R-E-D, at biznow, B-I-S-N-O-W.com. Stories on our website on other subjects right now. We've got a piece from our Los Angeles reporter about the demolition of buildings. And we've also got a story about a leadership shakeup at Alexandria Real Estate. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.